do a, a, a quick recap. We've had two weeks off in our study of Genesis, and uh, we left off with, you know, a very, uh, quite honestly, sad time in Israel's life and history uh, with God saying, and, and some very tough words of, my spirit will not always strive or fight or contend or struggle with mankind. And so it simply just came down to uh, the flood took place. Just eight souls only uh, survived that. And so there it was. And after that, it says in uh, Genesis 9 and 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And at that time, the whole earth was uh, one language of one speech. And it's interesting to note that, and our lesson uh, brings it out, that perhaps maybe um, the, the issue would be to not wipe out the people, but just start over again with changing the earth and what have you. Uh, and I think Brother Modish brought it out uh, very beautifully, and so has Jalen over the weeks. Quite honestly, I don't care what you do, it's us. It's mankind. Uh, our start was in a Garden of Eden. We started in, in, in perfectness, if that's a word. Uh, but yet we messed that up. So it's not our surroundings per se that God needs to make changes there. It's us. And so here it was that he's starting afresh. And here is a people who uh, of, are of one language. And they're going to begin a building project. And they're going to build a tower, Sister Ann. Good Sunday school lesson. They're going to build a tower. And uh, as it was, this is not in the plans of God. And, of course, and, and again, Brother Mark, good example of this is a typo uh, typography, uh, typology, sorry. If you in foreshadows, if you bring that forward to the day of Pentecost, look at the similarities. One people, one accord, one goal. But in the case of Pentecost, this is God-directed. Whereas these people here... Again, Brother Mott's word, the motive was wrong. And the spirit, quite honestly, goes back to what Lucifer said. I got to be like the most high. I will what? I will ascend, uh, ascend, be above him, be like him. And here were these people in total disobedience building something that God wasn't going to prove of. And the Bible said, with that, God said, well, let me come down and let me confound or confuse them let me change some things around, have them not understand themselves. Now, the positive is what happens with, from a unity standpoint, we're all speaking the same thing. But we're going in reverse here because the motive was wrong. But I'm not quoted already. There, there can be something in me as mankind. There's a way that seems right to me, but the end thereof is destruction. And a couple of scholars put it this way, also something perhaps we don't see, is that in all this building process, could it have been that these people were saying, in the event that God brings a flood again, it won't flood us out because of this structure that we have built. Ah, uh, still, it just came to me in scripture. I'm building that house. If the house is not of God, I build in vain. Because God's going to take it down. He's going to take it down. And so with that, he will look for a people that would obey him and not be 
that, and Lucifer is called the father of lies. And one time Jesus told a group of people, you're of your father, the devil. And so that spirit still in that day and age uh, was alive with, we want to be like the most high. We're going to make something, we're going to ascend uh, and be equal to God, and that's not going to happen. So the Lord came down, confounded their, their language, and um, Jalen said it, Brother Mott said it, we as a people over and over again, we have the highs, we have the lows, one minute we love God, next minute I can't spell God. Um, Old Testament is not my subject. I'm going to try no rabbit trails, but I got to do this one. Let me do this one real quick, and then I'll come back. First uh, Samuel 8 talks about, uh, here was Samuel the prophet, and his job was to tell the people, Israel, what God said. Go here, don't go there. Do this, don't do that. And the Bible said that the elders of Israel came to Samuel and said, wait a minute. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king. Now, up until now, Sister Johnson, when God spoke to Samuel, things were fine. They had direction. They had victory. But here was a people saying, that's not good enough. We want to be like them. We want a king. And if you read it, Samuel was very upset. And God had to calm him down by saying, they are not rejecting you. They're rejecting me, talking about God. To which God said, give them what they want. Let me fast forward to today. How often have you heard, you know, in, in a family, maybe the um, dentist should close their ears, of, you know, the child comes home from school, when you could go to school, <clears throat> when a child comes home from school, and they go, Mom, Dad, at Bobby's house, there's no Bobby's in here, are there? At Bobby's house, they get to do this, and they get to do that. Why can't we be like Bobby's house? Bobby has it better over in his house. I'm sorry, Roberto, how's that? Yeah, okay. Bobby has it better in his house. No, he doesn't. Because what are the chances, Sister Ann, that... Bobby really sees what was happening at my house and goes, man, they got it good over there. I wish Billy would see and start complaining about how good he thinks I have it. He's got it good where he's at. He's got loving parents. They take care of him. He's got, can I say it this way, the blessings of God upon him. But that's not good enough. I want to be like Bobby's house. And here was Israel saying the very same thing. Yeah, God's been good to us and all that. But you know what? They have a king, and we want a king. So give us a king. And the first king was who? Was Saul. Need I say more? Praise God. They wanted a king. So here was God having to deal with that. And again, the, the up and down um, lifestyle of Israel, God's chosen people. God protected them. And at times, he had to use those adjectives of they were stiff-necked. They were hard-headed. Uh, they wanted to do their own thing. And, of course, with that, and we didn't cover this before, but you know what a dispensation is, right? That's a time frame and how God dealt with mankind. And sad part is, when every dispensation ends with God saying what? I got to judge the people. 
They're not getting any better. I wish it were that these people were self-governed enough to know, you know what? I sinned. Let me repent of that sin. Let me ask God to help me not do that anymore. But when they're hard-headed, hard-necked, stiff-necked, there's going to be a problem. Now, our lesson also talks about that time frame was called the old world. Let me read 2 Peter 2 and 5. And spared not the, what, old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And then we have Paul calling his time frame, even where we, where we are now, uh, the present world. Um, and it says in Galatians 1 and 4, uh, who gave himself for our sins, talking about Jesus, that he might deliver us from this present evil word, uh, world according to the will of God and our Father. And this lesson is very pronounced with making us understand when we say world, we're not, we're not talking about this terrain or earth, but we're talking about a people. Because, again, my job is to teach Genesis. Let me back up and rewind. Again, when I go to uh, the days of creation, God spoke, let there be that there was, be it light, dark, um, uh, the, the firmaments and all that. But when it got to us, Brother Jason, God took his time and made man. He cares about man. He says he has no pleasure in the death of mankind. But being who he is, he's got to be fair to his word. He wants us all come to repentance. And Brother Mott said it very well. He can do some things to make it that I come to the end of myself. And guess what? Hopefully, it makes me to repent. But if not, again, that dispensation is going to end with judgment. One more, one more rabbit trail. I'll try not to do any more. Not. The Bible talks about Jesus. You know, I can go 20 different ways, but, but hear me out. I think lesson one I talked about when there were X amount of scriptures, and I think there's 32,000 all through the King James. And hold a gun to my head. I can't prove it, but I am told that every 10th scripture points to Jesus. Every 10th one talks about Jesus. Then fast forward to John 5, 39, when someone is reading scripture, and Jesus is saying, you're doing well that you read that, but do you not understand that what you're reading testifies of me? Right? He's talking about the, the Messiah. So that being said, as I look at the many different titles of Jesus, he's a lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He's our high priest. He's God. He's also the son of man. And he's also this title here. He is the mediator between God and man. Mediator. Let me give you present day definition for that. He's my lawyer. He stands before God, Brother Hans. He stands before God with all the junk that I've done. And he represents me. Not only is he trying to get my sentence plead down to just house arrest, but he's trying to get me pardoned. And so in this time frame, he's my lawyer. He's my mediator. He's the one saying, God, judge, don't hold that to old Wayne's charge. 
I died for that. Pardon that. And you do understand, pardon means as if it never happened. So he is on my behalf representing me for that piece of bubble gum that I stole. And as a good lawyer, he is saying, wipe that offense out. Wipe that sentence out. What a mediator. But another title that he's going to have is that on the day of judgment, that white throne judgment, as I stand before God, here's the deal. He is no longer my lawyer. He's my judge. He's my judge. Meaning now, before he comes back, I ought to be getting my act together. I ought to be realizing he's my lawyer, yes, but don't let me, Scripture says it, shall I sin that grace would abound? God forbid. But if I do stub my toe, if I do offend someone, the Bible says I have a mediator or I have someone, that I, an advocate that I can go to that will wipe away my sins. And if I'm not careful, Israel... I'm going to take that for granted. I'm, I'm not going to give, the, give it the value that it has. And it'll make me say things like, oh, yeah, that's good. But you know what, God, what else do you have? You know what? As I look across the street, they have a king. Can we not have a king? What's, what's, what's the phrase? If, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Leave it alone. What do you think the other nations around Israel were thinking with? Oh, they want a king? Do, I mean, we're heathen. We can't spell salvation. But we look and see what God has done for them for, for years. And they want to abandon that? You want to go live with Bobby? Do you not know in your house you got three square, you know, daily? Somewhere to lay your head? You got a whole family, no dysfunction, and you want to go be with Bobby? Bobby's trying to go where you are. Huh? Did you hear Brother um, Mott name all the different sites? Hittites, Jebusites, Hivites, all of Gergesites, even the termites, all of them. (laughs) All of them looking at how God is so good to Israel. And them not knowing what it is that they have. His spirit won't always strive with man. Bobby, that's twice. Bobby, that's three times. Bobby, I need you to stop. Bobby, I need you to sit down. God's patient. Yes, he is. And, boy, that rabbit trail went longer than I thought. But for that person saying, well, God is mean. And he's, in, and he's impatient. No, he's not. No, he's not. If he requires of me to forgive someone 70, I'm about to have a fit, 70 times 7, do you not think he holds himself to the same standard? And more. <sighs> Rabbit trail gone. Let me get back to the lesson. So, the old world, present world, and then that world is to come. That's in Second Peter 3.13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for 
new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And in that, we find um, when he, he, Jesus, raptures us out of here, uh, our carnal nature, we, we get a new body. Um, Philippians 3.21, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things under him. In other words, this glorified body that I got, you know what? The, the, the tiredness, where's Brother Ma? The Thursday night tiredness goes away. Okay, my aches and pains, they are gone in this new world that God offers. You know, don't know if there's going to be basketball in heaven, but I can play and not pay for it the next day like I did last Saturday morning. And end up losing anyway. But, praise God, the day is going to come uh, where God would make these changes for us and um, give us a place to forever be with him. Which means what? I said it before. Then on this side, now, let's get it right. And a part of that getting, getting it right is to give ourselves wholeheartedly to him. I'm going to jump ahead in the lesson. I'm, I'm on the fly, so I'm sorry. But is it not true? That mankind, we, me, us, we're at our best when we are wholeheartedly surrendered to God. When we give him everything, the word I'm looking for is trust. When we trust him, when we say, no, we don't need a king. What you've done for us, it is just fine. Continue to lead us. Pillar by day, fire by night, whatever it is, continue to lead us us if it ain't broken leave it alone that's my job that's my job to trust him now i will ask the question it's not rhetorical i want you to answer me back interact with me does it often that god's will doesn't make sense i'll grant you that but i want to tell you something because they they won whenever that was i stood up here before you this thing of what was happening in the garden was God trying to, to offer to mankind then and also now. Of him not saying, I want you in religion with me. I want you in relationship with me. Because you can't tell me that who you know you're going to trust. If I know God, I'm going to trust him. Now, I will say I'm, I'm trying to get through two lessons tonight. I email everybody. I hope you got the emails and all that. I'm trying. Uh, to play catch up and all, but <laughs> the the bottom line when it all comes down to it, God is looking for me to trust Him, and without that trust, I'm going to go elsewhere or get myself in trouble. His will, no, at times it doesn't make sense, but let me get your scripture: His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. As the heavens are high above the earth, so much different are his ways and thoughts than mine. Meaning, I would have done it this way. But God says, ah, that's not how I'm going to do it. Not how I'm going to do it. Um, I told this story in the chapel. Well, I'll tell you what. Reel me back in. Back to my lesson. So forever we're going to be with God. Now. Uh, the implication being, and I think a very good challenge to us is, 
Sure, God wiped out all the populace. He did. And then he said, replenish. But where is it written that now here's a God that I can't trust. So let me make provisions to protect me. Let me get to a point where I won't be vulnerable again to a flood. But why not get myself so close to God? Come Hades or high water, I'm going to be with God. I'm going to be next to him, walking with him. Ah, praise God. All right, let me segue into our friend, and he's called a friend of God, and that's Abraham. Wow, what a man. And his beginning is a very interesting one because initially what God tells him, because God finds out Abraham loves God, but it's his household, Sister Anne, that has idol worshipers there. And for what God wants to do with him is, present day word, give him a reset, give him a change of scenery. Now, I know y'all know the story better than me. You can teach it better than me. But do this for me right now. Let's get in, in this case, Abram's shoes before the the name change. And he is told by God, pack it up, get to stepping. Start walking. Come on now. You you know the end, you know the beginning. Ah, But I'm saying, come on, come on, come on. All right. Humor me by you never heard this story before. Okay. And he says, get to walking. Okay. Now, this is you, Sister Kelly. You're obeying God. But here's the slight problem with this. Because when he asks, where are we going? The response is, between the lines, the response is, I'll tell you when you get there. That's trust. Because did you hear me? Pack it up and let's go. And it's one thing to say, here's where we're going. And it's one thing to say, in two days, you're going to be there on your journey. But when God doesn't let you know where you're going, again, the word I'm looking for is trust. And he's tested with that. Now, I can identify with Abram, Abraham, because at 18, um, I was Air Force bound. And similar to uh, Abram, um, love God, another night, another story, another two hours. Uh, I didn't grow up. In nothing. But Lamont said he didn't grow up on a pew. I didn't grow up in nothing. Okay? Never went to Sunday school. Didn't know what Sunday school was. Yada, yada, yada. But God in his wisdom, again, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I would have done it differently, but I'm not God. And how he done it was this way. The moment at the boot camp, I get in my first duty station. Here is God working on me. Now, my mom and my grandmother raised me. But wasn't a Christian home, but it could have been a whole lot worse. So please hear me how I say that. But when God got me alone and on my own, it was trust time. It was either make it or break it, Sister Sank. I, I wish I could say that the military lifestyle was just all holy and all that. But Mr. Mr. Naive here saw some stuff that I only heard about. But here was God saying, Wayne, you love me, you trust me, I'll keep you. 
And there was many a day where I may not have known how the outcome was going to be or where I was headed. But my job was trust God, don't let go. Abram, start walking. And when you get there, I'm going to tell you. And again, I can parallel that because I just started walking and at 21, someone walked my way and 39 years later, she still walked my way and I need to get back to my lesson. <laughs> Praise God. I'm from Virginia. She's from Maryland. We met in New Mexico. Sounds like God to me. Praise God. So here was... Um, <laughs> So in a part of this walking, God is not coming with what we call the Abrahamic contract, covenant. And a covenant is an agreement. Simply put, it's an agreement. Yes, it's a contract. It's God telling him what he's going to do for him. He's going to make him a great nation, so on and so on. I want you to walk before me. Okay? Two or more parties have to be involved in this, and it has to be an agreement. I want to tell you something. You get in covenant with God, he's going to do his part. You don't have to worry about that. He's going to do his part. I have, um, it's told that, uh, and of course, lying is a sin, but supposedly the biggest lie going across the continent of the United States right now is when we, and we can be on our computer, and either we're paying a bill or we're about to buy a new phone or whatever on our computer, and that box says, and it won't let you go until you check this box. And this box says that you have read and understood all the terms and conditions of this contract. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. And you know, good one, you can't go past unless you check it off. And you check it off. Biggest lie going on. I have read the terms and conditions. No, you haven't. But stop and think about a contract. I'm going back to be the 1800s or whatever. Well, my Sunday school kids, no, I wasn't there in the 1800s, okay? But back then, my word was my bond. You know, we didn't have to draw something up and we signed in triplicate. It was a gentleman's handshake. Done deal. But fast forward to today, ah, it's got to be, make sure you read the fine print and you got, and uh, wow, a lot of stuff going on. And in my military days back in the 80s, I was overseas uh, stationed in Belgium. And my boss succeeded General um, Alexander Hay, who went on to be Secretary of State, Chief of Staff, and all that. So my boss was the four-side general. And he almost got bombed. He was running late. And from about here to my son Joel, him going back to get his hat, Sister Sang, is what saved him. And they showed the damage to his motor vehicle because the bomb went off like to where Joel is and, of course, damaged his car. Had he not forgotten his hat, he would have been where Joel is. All right? I say that to say this. It, it, um, we were part of his staff. Personnel came and we went. And he was in need of a new driver. And you understand military life. You get orders from wherever it comes from. Army, Air Force, wherever, your headquarters or wherever it comes from, and you go. But the difference here was him being who he was, and he answered to two people, uh, Secretary of Defense and the Commander-in-Chief, who's the president. You got me? So he interviewed his staff. 
And here it was, he needed a new driver. And the, the uh, gentleman, uh, they paraded him through left and right. And the one guy came in, and the general liked this guy, Sister Sank. He was going to be it. And so they sat down to talk, and uh, he told the young man, um, here's what my requirements are for you. Meaning that if uh, the opposition were to come, again, we were in Europe. If the opposition were to come, you got to take care of me. And there were certain maneuvers they were taught with that vehicle, so on and so on. And so he agreed to what the general was saying. Contract, hear me. Everyone say contract. So the general got up to walk away like this is a done deal. And before he can walk away, Sister Sank, my friend, my staff sergeant friend said, oh, sir, before you leave, you have requirements of me. I got requirements of you. That's kind of brazen. Who's he think he is? Has he lost his mind? Evidently not, Ian. Because the general sat his carcass down and heard him out. And a part of those requirements were that come time of my review and awards, sir, I'm expecting top-notch award, top-notch review, to the point where Need I say, you get a general sign-off on your uh, evaluation, you're set for life. You're set for your military life. So you hear what I'm saying? Was he brazen or not? No. And those two held each other to what they spoke. And I'm going back again to God and Abram. God puts it out there. This is uh, Genesis 12 and 2. Those that bless you, I'll bless them. They curse you, I'm going I'm to curse them. You have my word on it, Abram. Now, here's what I require of you. So, this pact, this contract was in effect. Now, let me fast forward. There were times that when he became Abraham, he did. Brother Mott's my elder. He said it, so I'm going to use the word too. There's some stupid stuff. There was a famine where they were. There was a famine where they were, so... Uh, they, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah now, not Sarah AI, but Sarah. So they beat feet for Egypt to try and beat the, uh, the famine and try and get food. And so while they are there, or before they got there, he tells her, because no doubt she's a beautiful young lady. Y'all know where I'm going. And he says to her, if by chance anybody asks, you're my sister. Oh, boy, what a lie. But now let me back up. Let me back up. Because this is in Genesis 12 and also in Genesis 20. He does it again before King uh, Abimelech and all. And then Abraham, uh, Abraham does make this statement that they're half-sister. Same father, different mother. So, Sister Anne, let me see you teach that to your Sunday school kids. Nah. Huh. So, but he says, I want you, hey, you got to, I'm, I'm your, I'm, you're my brother, you're my, I'm sorry. Just making sure you're awake, okay? And so, they go to Egypt, and Pharaoh buys the lie, okay? And he would have her for his wife. But somehow, as only God could, here comes a plague, 
And Pharaoh is smart enough to know that before these two came here, life was great. But I don't know what this, he didn't say what the plague was, but something's wrong here. You know, I don't serve God, but, you know, I'm not that bad. Okay, you know, what's going on with this? And he's smart enough to know that, uh, give me that Abraham fella. And let me find out from him what's going on. And you know the story. He fesses up and he says, you got to get out of here. That's Genesis uh, uh, 12. But in Genesis 20, similar deal. Abimelech, they travel. Abimelech sees her. Uh, the princes go, ah, she's beautiful. Can you, ah, hey, hey, hey. Okay. But he is warned in a dream. Whew, God is great, isn't he? And he awakes from his dream, and he knows what's about to happen. And perhaps he heard of the plague that took place, you know, previously, and doesn't want any part of that. But get this. Because this is God going above and beyond to fulfill his part of the contract, of the covenant. Because guess what? Through Abraham, and, and, and I was going to say, through Abraham and Sarah, has to come this promised child. So if I got to give some, some plagues to people or give a king some dreams, my plan, my will has to be done. And I will, hear me, I will skirt around, I will ignore, forgive me, the stupidity of what Abraham's gone through. He's kind of done that with us too, I would think, once or twice in our lives. Made us a promise. We kind of don't do our part, and he's got to make some kind of provisions. And of course, of course, the biggest failure is in Abraham's impatience. This promised child, you told me at 75 I'm going to have it. I'm 76 now. I'm 78 now. Where is this promised child at? And as I look at Sarah AI, Sarah, she's getting no younger. Uh, I'm glad you're here. What's our, what hour? What's our favorite song in Sunday school? Hours, hours. No, no, what's, no, no, the kids, no, the kids yell it out. It starts with who's, we sing it every Sunday. No, who's, who's report, will you believe? We got my anchor kids partnering with those guys. I tell you what, every Sunday they want to sing it. Who's report are you going to believe? Abraham, you were made a promise. And I realize the promise is so, You need God's help to fulfill this promise to the point where Sarah laughed when God said this time next year, the child's going to be here. And I know it goes against everything. She's past childbearing age. So with that, at 75, no child at 80, no child at 81. So guess what? I need to help. God. Big mistake. Uh, one more rabbit trail, and I'll try to reel myself back in. But um, Brother Mott touched on the Levites. Priests, they minister to God. And with the Ark of the Covenant, the priests only are to touch that Ark. And you recall when it hit a rock, it was about to fall, and Uzzah, 
non-priest, non-Levi-Uzzah was going to keep her from falling, and God smote him on the spot. That's kind of mean, God. What's up with that? First of all, you're not a Levite. You're not supposed to touch. You're better off letting it fall. Because what would have happened, and this is me interjecting a little bit, so work with me on it. But had he steadied the, the ark and not been smitten, fast forward 20, 30 years, could it have been Sister Johnson? He's telling his grandkids, I remember the time God was falling and I helped him up. I kept God from falling. Here's what I'm saying. Abraham, he doesn't need your help. If he said it, he's going to do it. And all my best efforts are going to mess stuff up. So, And Sarah's involved in it too. Here's my handmaiden. Here's Hagar. And we got kids in here. So... I'll just say Ishmael is born and God lets him know that's not the promised child. You're not doing my will. Now get this. Now, now you know, there, there are some things when old Brown here can just blow it and it costs nobody nothing, if I can say it that way. You know, let's say I'm, I'm you know, going down the road, run out of gas or whatever. And I'm a mile away from, from gas station. Okay, I was dumb, didn't get it filled up and all that. I walked a mile, buy a gas can, get it filled up, going about my way. I ain't hurt nobody. But there's some stuff that is, is wrongly done. Hear me. <laughs> Y'all know it better than me. What's going on with Ishmael then and now? Was it a small mistake? Still today, we feel the effects of it. Israel says, Gaza Strip is mine. The Arabs say, no, it ain't yours. And they fight over it. They had a, in the 60s, what? A six-day war. Six-day war. All from somebody, hear me, trying to help God. Trying to help God speed up his promise. Did you hear, Brother Mark? We all raise our hands. We got a two-year promise of waiting on. Got one five years ago. Got one 30 years ago and all that. Guess what? Keep on waiting. And keep trusting God. If he said it, he's going to do it. Because whose report are we going to believe? And let me further help you. I think it's number 2319. God is not a man that he would lie. So Abraham, and again, I asked y'all, get in his shoes. So before we, I really throw shade at him and go, yeah, how dare him? Okay, I'm feeling his pain. I'm not 75. Um, I ain't no spring chicken. I'm sorry to be foul. These guys, man. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. <sighs> And I do have some promises I'm still waiting on. But you know what? God does not need my help to fulfill it. Now, uh, we know the, uh, the promise does happen. Uh, Isaac is born. 
And I think the lesson brings it about very well by asking, you know, here's, here's one more test for Abraham. You stop and you think about it. There's something, somebody that you've been waiting on for a long time. And God fulfills what he promised. And again, Brother, Brother Mott touched on it uh, in, in Matthew 6. Who are we going to serve? God or mammon? Two masters. Make up your mind who's it going to be. And often I say it this way, and I'm hoping that it comes from God because, excuse my English, I ain't that smart. Okay? Hear me. I don't want God's stuff unless God comes with the stuff. Scripture says, I think it's in Proverbs, maybe Proverbs 10, that when God blesses, he adds no sorrow with it. So was this a blessing from God, Ishmael? Because they won their fighting. <laughs> brother brother Ma, he's, he's talking about different cooks in the kitchen. Hagar and Sarah, it's not happening. They're fighting. It's two women going at it. And it's not being blessed by God because it doesn't come from God. And we go centuries and come to today of still there being fights going on with trying to help God do his will. But again, Isaac is born and then here comes the test. God asks for him back. And what are we going to do with that? You start again. You know the story, so please don't jump ahead. Work with me with this. You're Abraham. You know, and it could be, Sister Ann, that Lamborghini. And I can see you in a Lamborghini. That Lamborghini that you wanted. And Hans is going, yeah, right. She, she just wants a minivan. Okay. And God gives it to you. But then he asks for it back. Because, again, here's a test. Here's a test. Do I have the minivan or does the minivan have me? And going back to it, and you know the story with Abraham. Abraham passed the test. Yes, he did. And you do understand it's not a, just a formality of when we dedicate our kids. Okay? Because we're saying, God, we're given this beautiful bundle of joy, this our prized possession, back to you. Do with them how you see fit. That is us saying, God, we do have this child, but the child doesn't have us. You bless us with this child, we give them back to you. And that should be that way with everything that God bestows upon us. How does it look that if he asks for something from us, he has to wrest it from us? Can I give you scripture? Freely I receive, so freely give. Abraham passed the test. He did. And oddly enough, he's called a friend of God. He's called a father of faith. Because on that journey up to Mount Moriah, he speaks his faith as saying, servants, I told you, Brother Mott's rubbing off on me. Servants, y'all stay here. <laughs> me and the lad, we're going to go and worship, but we're coming back. Huh? God said to sacrifice him. Could it be that he is saying, God, I'm going to obey you? 
I'm going to do what you say. But if I do have to sacrifice him, I'm trusting you to bring him back to life. And guess what? Together, we're coming back down this mountain. You go to Romans 14, 11, 17-ish and all that. And the Bible said that concerning Abraham and the promises of God, what? He didn't stagger at them. And he wasn't weak in faith. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, Brother Brown. But didn't he try to help God? Listen, all of us in this flesh and humanity, I got my good days and I got my bad days. I mean, on a good Sunday night blowout service, come see me Monday morning. I got the Antioch two-step going on. And it could be that come, come Wednesday, I can't spell dance. Because all this is housed in, in, in this flesh right here. But God chose, please, God chose through Paul to write concerning Abraham. He didn't stagger, nor was he weak in faith concerning the promises of God. But he gave God glory through all of that. And we fast forward to the book of James where he's called the friend of God. As if God knew, Brother Jason, I got my bad moments. And I just sometimes confessing the promise is kind of hard and what have you, but in God's eyes, how God sees it. He sees it differently than me. Can I say it this way? Scripture. I look on the outward appearance. Jason, you're not looking too good right now. Looks like you're struggling, and I'm just pulling your leg, okay? But what does God say? I'm looking at the heart. Rabbit trail again, I'm sorry. Not my Old Testament is not mine. But as these guys are being paraded around Samuel, we're looking for the king. Surely, Zach, this strapping young man here is it. Surely this is the one. Nope. And you parade six more around. Surely, the, nope. What else you got? Just this little fella out in the field with his sheep. And this may be that King James may have stopped by way of Arkansas before he wrote the Bible because it said this, go fetch him. It says it. said, go, yeah. Go fetch him. We won't eat. We won't sit down till you go fetch him. It was southern Jerusalem, so maybe. Tough crowd. Man, tough crowd. And you know the story. They go get David because surely just by looking at him, looking at his outward appearance, what does he have to offer? But God is saying, I'm looking at his heart. And eventually God says, have you seen David? A man, what? After my own heart. And there are days that I'm around the sheep of this world that I may not smell all that great, but you know something, just like with David, still with the sheep, backside of whatever, away from everybody else, I have not a religion, but a relationship still with God. Relationship is everything. It is everything. Again, Brother Mott touched on it, because the day's going to come, heaven or hell, I'm on nobody's coattails. Okay? It's going it's up to me. Can can I'm gone. I'm totally gone. I'm sorry. But did you hear what Paul and Paul is all about spreading the gospel. But did you hear what he said when he said 
that I can win so many people, but when all said and done, I myself am left shipwreck. President Day English, Brother Warden, I'm eating, I'm tearing up my, my county, my city. Folks getting saved left and right. I ain't even got to put my hands on their head, just look at them to get the Holy Ghost. But personally, and they, Brother Spriggs, they make it to heaven, and I'm, Paul's word, I'm shipwrecked? What happened? What happened? Something went wrong with relationship. Something went wrong with relationship. I, um, try and get back here. But hear me, hear me say this. Us older people, and when I say older people, I'm talking about us as adults, and I may have shared this here, but isn't it ironic that, you know, as a five-year-old, six-year-old, you know, we want to grow up, and I will say uh, to the Rafter kids, stay young, stay young, stay young, stay young. But, you know, I'm, I can't wait to be 10, can't wait to be 12, can't wait to be 18. 18, I'm on my own, I'm outside the house, I'm, I'm gone, I'm my own person now. And let me show you what God does, because now that I'm an adult, here's what he looks for from me, because he says it in Matthew. Unless I become like a child, be a child again? Yes, unless I become like a child and be converted, changed, I cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you telling me to grow up to be a child again? I sure am. Because it is with a simple, excuse me, simple simplicity that a child, Brother Jason, will take God at his word. I'm happy that Abraham, there, there was no resting and wrestling with God's word. But there's, the, the Bible is loaded with those who did. Prove it to me. Show it to me. Tell me four or five times and I'll think about doing it. But as a whole, a child will hang on your every word because of relationship and do what you ask of him or her. The Bible does say, I think it's in Isaiah it's a little child, Sister Johnson, that will what? That's going to lead them. Why? They're so impressionable. And as a whole, they're obedient if they know you. And God asks that of us. I'm X amount of years old. I think I have arrived. God says, no, you haven't. And the fight that went on with him uh, and, and the disciples, who, Sister Sang, is going to be greatest in the kingdom? I got more money than him. Who's going to be the greatest? My clothes are better than that person. To which Jesus said what? Have that little child come up here. Have that little child come up here. Praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, I did say, and I sent it out by way of um, email. So this is lesson six and seven tonight, eight and nine next week. And then on the 20th is our last lesson, and that'll be... um, uh, lesson 10. So I'm appreciative of your, your patience. We've, we're getting through it and all. Any questions before we close in prayer? Are we good? Sister Ann, who's reporter? We're going to believe. Get a feeling we're going to sing that Sunday. All right.